This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Music Lab, a new podcast series by The Straits Times. Each month, we invite music acts to our podcast studio. Here's your host, Adino Abdul Hadi, ST's music correspondent with his guests for this episode. Today, we have with us in the ST Podcast Studio one of Singapore's most prominent electronic pop artists, Jasmine Soko. Jasmine is a singer, songwriter, and producer whose music has made an impact not just in Singapore, but also in the region. On music streaming services, her songs like Tired and Hurt have clocked millions of streams, and you might have heard some of her tunes on local radio stations too. In 2019, she was the first Singaporean to win Best Southeast Asia Act at the MTV European Music Awards in Spain. Many will also know her for her trademark look. She is often dressed in black and covers part of her face with a mask. Hi Jasmine. Hello. Welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back at the Straits Times again. How are you today? Never been better. So Jasmine, you've got a new single out, Winter. It's a great tune, love it. It's a little bit different from your past songs, I feel. I personally feel, I sense like a bit of an industrial rock feel to it, or maybe it's just me. Yes. You've also said that this is a song that represents the closing of a chapter and the start of a new beginning. Can you elaborate on that? I think in terms of change, there are two things that happened to me recently. One of which would be the music part. I feel like for a long period of time, you know, I've been making music for about six to seven years now. And I feel at different phases, I would be very certain about the kind of music I want to make. There was a time when I was very sure I wanted to go for something that was very minimal, very catchy, like tired and hurt. And then after that, I kind of feel like I was just exploring different sounds. I couldn't find a very specific identity as an artist. And I felt like Winter was that one song that I created that made me realize that, you know what, actually, I started making music because I love it. And it's not so much about trying to fit in or like have other people like me. And I just wanted to keep that intention pure. And then during that period of time, I was just sitting down, thinking through what's the next direction. So that's one part. I feel like musically, I went through this entire journey of like trying different things. And Winter was one of the songs where I was exploring rock music as well. Because I grew up on rock music actually, but I never got to add that in because I think I started out with the entire electronic musician. And so Winter was that escape for me. And then the other change would be, I think my team... Over the years, I've worked with different people. I've, I've done the whole, like, I started out independent and I work with a major label. And I've learned a lot of things throughout. But what's most important to me is actually figuring out what suits me the most. And I realized in this industry and also as an artist today, 
I feel that what works for me might not work for other people and it might not be conventional, but at least I'm happy and so long as it suits me, I'm fine. All right, it's not a new song. I think I read somewhere that it says that winter was from a few years back. Yeah, I, I made it in the middle of the pandemic actually. And for me, during that period of time, I was with a major label and it almost felt like I was trying to hit KPIs every quarter. But then when I created Winter, it was that one song that felt like I just started music again. And it felt very refreshing to me. So I kept the song for very long. And until I feel like, okay, this is it. It is also a very important move for me to put it out as a closure for myself. Right. And the lyrics, uh, they seem a bit personal. Are they aimed at the real person? That's the thing about my songs, right? Yes, they are. They are definitely... All of my music are actually inspired by real-life events, but sometimes I would also mix and match different experiences because making music is sort of like, you know, taking different experiences and also combining them. So maybe the first verse, it could be about this person, and then the second verse could be a little bit fantasized. So that was also a practice for me. I think during that time, I was also learning how to put my feelings into words and back then, I used to create songs that felt very generic. So this was very specific. And then Winter is just one song of a batch of songs. You're working on, on more tunes for an EP that will be released sometime this year. What can you say about the rest of the songs? I think the rest of the songs are incredibly different. They're so different that I'm so scared to put them out, you know. When you say different, are they different from each other or different from your past works? They are different from my past works. I have been going around showing my friends different creatives that I worked with throughout the years and I get very mixed reviews. But all of them are very shocked because they didn't realise that I am going to go with this direction. That's very intriguing. Yeah, I was also very surprised by their reaction but I felt very energised because back then when I was creating music, I would create a song, I would share with the people and inside of me, I actually do want their validation and to know that I'm doing the right thing. But then now, with this new series of songs, I realise that I'm so sure about it, that even if my friends or the people around me think that it's not the right direction, I still feel very certain about it. So I realise that's something new, and I think for this EP that's coming up, it's also a self-realisation process for me. As a musician in Singapore, I've struggled a lot with identity. Like, what does it mean to be a Singaporean making music? Because I went to China, I was working with a lot of musicians through Zoom during the pandemic. And I realized that sometimes these friends, they have the roots of their culture to fall back on. Like, they'll use their traditional instruments. They would have some sort of um, folk tale that they can weave into their songs, their music, their identity. And then I had a thing through you know, what does it mean to be Singaporean? What is our culture? Heck, should I add this element in like Singlish? How, how do I do it? But I'm not a rapper. And then I thought about it. And I think ultimately my conclusion was that we are sort of like a sponge. You know, we absorb different cultures. We get to interact with so many different people. And it's in our DNA to have that. And it's very unique. And in this EP, I was just creating a fictional culture that was inspired by everything that I absorbed growing up as a Singaporean. So think about it, I'm like creating a sci-fi EP. Wow, 
That's high concept right there. It's high concept and it's so difficult to explain it. And I find myself talking about it so that I can be clearer about this direction as well. Okay, and how far along are you with the EP? Like, how much of it is done? How much of it is, you know, the, the stories? I would give it a 60 to 70%. Okay, pretty good. Yeah. So we can expect it when? Definitely this year, but I am also going through this entire visual rebranding because I think the mask used to serve me very well when I first started out as a shield because I wanted people to focus on my music and everything. But then as time passes by, I also feel like it's not serving the purpose that it used to serve before. I mean, look at my hair. I'm no longer very bothered by the whole separation of identity. Basically, I think that when I release my new series of songs, I also want a visual to accompany it. Right. So are you back in Singapore for good or are you still shuttling between Singapore and China? I am currently still shuttling between Singapore and China. I think Singapore will always be home for me. I would be back every other month or so, depending on, you know, what's happening here as well as what's happening in China. And I feel very comfortable in this whole shuttling as well because I'm always learning in China but when I come back home I feel very sure about who I am as well So where do you get where, where is the most work done when you're in China or both it's equal wherever you are you know you have your laptop and you're working or? That's true you know I always travel with my laptop but then there's a new realisation also when you ask me that question I feel like I get a lot of realisation and song concepts when I'm in China so the last trip I was there there was an earthquake. Oh dear, where was this? I was in Sichuan, Chengdu. Lovely, lovely place. But also it's close to an epicenter. Yeah, so there was an earthquake and that was the first ever earthquake in my life. <laughs> We're Singaporeans. We've never had earthquakes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, and back then, I, I was going through something that was very rough. And I thought that was the worst thing that happened to my life. And when that earthquake happened, it, it puts a lot of perspective into place. You know, the Maslow hierarchy of needs. I feel like in Singapore, I'm always existing somewhere on top of the pyramid. I'm always trying to find self-actualization. I'm not happy. What am I doing wrong? But then that day when that earthquake happened, right? I was at the very bottom of the pyramid. It's survival. Yeah, I'm, I'm at the yeah, line just... of the pyramid, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just wanted to survive. And then that day, it, it was so impactful for me. It made me realize that life is so short and I have to do better. Were you hurt? Like, well, what happened? Um, during that period of time, I think a lot of things around me were very out of control. I wasn't surrounding myself with the best people. And there were a lot of inner works that I had to do, including things like learning to draw boundaries, knowing what is the type of people I want to surround myself with in my work environment. Yeah, that was a very important lesson for me. And I never felt like I could get out of that phase mentally. But then when that earthquake happened, it just sort of pushed me to think a lot further. And then I started writing music like crazy for the next few days. And, and so a lot of my demos actually came from that period. But then when I come back to Singapore, I would be working with the creatives that grew with me, you know, since seven years ago. They've seen my growth and they are also part of my journey in the next EP. All right. Let's talk about how you ended up in China in the first place. So back in 2018, you started making a name for yourself in the region after you joined uh, Rave Now, which is an electronic music talent reality competition in China. And this was despite the fact that you were not fluent in Mandarin. Yes. <laughs> 
Can you talk about how that, that made a huge impact on your music career? Okay. So the story was that I was still in school during that period of time. And then I was doing my school exchange in Sweden. And I was very certain about going to Sweden because a lot of my songwriting idols are over there. I just wanted to experience what's life over there. Can I work with different songwriters? And then I alighted. Within 16 hours, I got an email from China saying that there's a television show which is for electronic producers. And I felt like it's so niche during that time to have a show like that. And I'm also a female. I think as a female producer, that's also something that I always wanted people to take notice of. And then within 16 hours, I just flew over and I thought to myself, like, I don't really care that much or think that much. I have never been to China. I'm very curious about the culture. It's going to be a short holiday, self-proclaimed holiday at the very least, if things doesn't work out. And then I got there. I didn't think I could make it through the first round because my Mandarin was so terrible. So how do you communicate then? I did a very Singaporean thing. I actually came out with different paragraphs and then I Google translated them. <laughs> and then I memorized them. <laughs> and then I knew, right, because I was wearing a mask, yeah. I knew that if somebody, like one of the judges, were to say mask, I would know which paragraph to release right. from my head, you know. Wow. And then I did that. And then it, it looked like I, I knew what was going on. That's amazing. Thank you, Google. <laughs> Thank you, Google. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, wait, wait. So, you were in Sweden and then within 16 hours, you flew... To China. To China. Yes. Did, did, they, did, did they provide tickets or you had to like sort yourself out? Uh, they got me the tickets. Wow, yeah. okay. All right. And then, um, obviously, the pandemic hit. Yes. How long... Were you in China when, when that happened? I was in China, maybe the last trip I was in China was just right before the start of the pandemic. And then I, I was in Singapore for Chinese New Year. And then that's when the pandemic actually really blew up, right? And I think the last three years were very difficult, not just for me, but everyone around me as well. It changed many things. But it also made me feel extremely grateful for what things were before. I think during the pandemic, there were live shows, but it was all done from my home. And then there was also a music video that was supposed to happen, but I could never make it to China. So I did it from home as well. And then I remember like breaking down sometimes because it felt like there was a lot of things to do. And then that day, I sort of just sent all the messages to, you know, my sound man. In China? Um, no, in Singapore. Oh, like in the Singapore. people okay. that I work with. Right, right. And right. I was just like messaging them and telling them like, well, I, I've never felt so grateful to have you guys until I have to do it alone and I realize I, I can't. Yeah, so that was one of the greatest takeaway from the pandemic. Hey there, if you like what you're listening to so far, Find SD's Music Lab podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. Get notified when we drop the latest episodes. And now, back to our podcast episode with Jasmine Soko. Let's talk about your image. You've got a very distinctive look and you know there's a lot of people out there who have no idea what Jasmine Soko actually looks like without the mask. How did how did this start this whole like, you know covering half of your face with it was the visor originally and then it became a mask. Yeah, the first time we met, I believe I came over here to do 
promo for my first ever single, which is called 1057. Yeah. So in the beginning, I was doing my very first music video, and the narrative goes that there's this girl that's going around Haji Lane trying to find a missing person. But the twist was that she she was wearing a mask, and at the end of the MV, she's supposed to take off the mask to reveal that. The person she's trying to find was herself. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then I have no idea why we had no rationalization or whatsoever. The directors and I just took the last scene out. Oh, so she was. So you were like, you had the mask on. Was it a visor at that time? It looked like a cage. It was made by belts. Wow. Yeah. I think I named it the prisoner. The prisoner. <laughs> yeah, the prisoner of thoughts. It's very conceptual back then. After that video, I thought to myself, hey, actually, it's pretty great because I'm very introverted and I want people to know me for my music and my skill as a female producer and why not keep the mass persona and during that time I was also I mean I still am a huge fan of music artists Daft Punk, Marshmallow, Did Mao. I think they left a very strong impact on me as well and it made me feel like I was creating this entire universe for Jasmine Soko it's not just music, it's an experience. So that whole identity, visual identity, also evolved with each and every music video. And in the beginning, it was a very small team. Maybe it started out for me. It felt like a project I just wanted to do. And then eventually, when I worked with different music video directors, stylists, everyone added their own personality. And then the branding just kind of grew over time and it just evolved into what it is today. How many masks do you have so far? I think I have somewhere less than 20. Less than 20 feels like there's a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, so you have a team of people who create this mask? Like, So you have the idea or do you work with designers or how, how does it work? I have like a lot of creative friends. And they're very amazing at their work. And then we would just sit down, discuss about the concept. And I think at the end of the day, I enjoy giving the people I collaborate with a lot of space to just do their own things. So long as it aligns with the entire vision and direction. And in terms of the last few months, I've been working with Josiah Chua. He's an amazing, amazing designer. Um, he was also the person who did the BTS, McDonald's, shoe, sneakers that sort of like blew up on Instagram. Like he and I would just hang out once in a while. We would sit down and talk about what is Soko's world like. How do we build it? He has this idea. Do you want to try it? And at the core of it, there's a lot of fun. Uh, Jasmine, there was a point when you were studying and making music and doing concerts at the same time. What were those years like for you? I think it was really tough. But there were incidents where I was very happy about. I went to SMU. It was a very fun school for me, but also very intensive. And then in the first year, I took a class called Creative Thinking. And for that project, I remembered everyone could submit something that they do for the final project. And then I submitted my song demo. <laughs> and then I performed in class. Was it 1057? No, it wasn't. It was a demo before that. And that was the first class that I did that. And then subsequently, I took a marketing course. And we had to come up with marketing plans entering like Southeast Asia market. And I just used Jasmine Soko. Oh, wow. And I was using it to like plan for myself. I felt like school sort of gave me the discipline to do that as well. I was always trying to kill two birds with one stone. 
that was school for me. But then, of course, there are also other modules like financial accounting, <laughs> where there's no way I can, I can push this project into it, right? And that was really difficult for me. But I am always very grateful that I didn't go to a music school. I used to be really envious of all my friends that went to music school. And I wish my parents, like for a long period of time, I wish my parents were very open-minded to let me do that. But after I finished school, I realized that I needed something that was opposing, you know, that was entirely different from what I was doing. Because if I inherently already have so much love for music, I have the discipline to self-learn it. But then I wouldn't have that discipline to learn all the hard skills, like all the Excel sheet, PowerPoints. But then eventually, as I continue, like right now, right, I, I have my own team. I do a lot of decks because it's just, it's just so much clearer to communicate how I think to everyone because there's a PowerPoint deck. Ah, okay. So I'm grateful for that. Right. I understand that you, at one point, you were like, you had to fly to China and you were still, you had classes, you had performances and all that. How did you juggle all this? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I did not. I'm not going to lie about it. I didn't think I could graduate from school or so because SMU is awesome. I love that the students have to talk in class. But then when I cannot make it for the attendance, I would worry about my grades. You know, I don't know if I can pass this, this module or not. And therefore, I was never certain about graduating. But then the pandemic hit. And then that's when like all the classes became online. Uh, Yeah, and then I could attend it. So I guess I somehow graduated, you know. It took it took seven years, by the way. Oh, so when did you actually graduate? I graduated late last year. That was the graduation ceremony, but I was in China. There was no convocation for you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But congratulations anyway. Thank you. And uh, like you mentioned, you learned how to produce music all by yourself, right? Mm. Like you read books and you went online and all that. But you you had piano lessons when you were young. My piano teacher would disagree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a terrible student. Right, maybe you can tell us you know, like how it all started. It, are there people in your family who's, uh, who are musicians as well? My parents are business people. We do not have a lot of art around us growing up. But then my brother loved music a lot. He loves rock music. So we kind of grew up playing a lot of rock music together. Believe it or not, right? Like I I do play bass guitar, electric guitar, badly. You picked them up all by yourself or you had lessons? I picked them up by myself. Okay. I think when I was a kid, school was not easy for me. It felt very stressful. So if I were to take extra lessons outside of school for something like that, it would kill the fun for me. So I had to pick it up myself. I think I think back then when I was young, I just feel like learning something on my own was a form of rebellion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did your parents know then that, that you were learning how to play drums and bass? And Yeah, I was so noisy <laughs> that they couldn't help but know, right? <laughs> and where did it come from? Did, did uh, the, the instruments, they belong to your brother or you secretly bought them? Or Okay, so that's the thing. Like My parents gave us a lot of autonomy growing up. They gave me like recess money and then whatever we do with it it's it's our own problem right so in primary school i would just eat very little during recesses to save up for a guitar and then my brother would kind of do the same also so we would earn our own instrument and i think it's very different when you earn your own instrument you treasure it more yeah yeah yeah. 
And that was how it was like for me. How old were you when you bought your first instrument? 13, 14. 13, 14. Was it a guitar, electric guitar, a bass, or what was it? I got an acoustic guitar. Okay. I was a very huge fan of Green Day, Sun 41, Paramore. Pop punk, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. But you took piano lessons when you were... I was 11. But then back then, everybody around me was already grade 7, grade 8. But eventually, I realized that my love for music was the creation part. I felt like my voice was very limited. I cannot really sing rock songs because of how thin my voice is. And then when I first listened to Skrillex, I was mind blown. The dubstep years. Yeah, the dubstep (laughs) years. I was super mind blown. I didn't know music could be like that. So I went to read up all his interviews online and obviously he spoke of Ableton, right? That was when I started saving up ah, <laughs> for it. Okay. And then I got it and and then I would just take time out after school to play with the program. This was what, secondary school or? This was after secondary school actually. JC? Yeah, JC mm, period. Okay. And then there was a very long gap between JC and uni. And I was taking that time out to learn all this. Because I back then, I just felt that time is so precious and prime. I have to learn all these things during that period of time. So that, that gap between um, JC and uni was the time when you learned how to produce electronic music tracks. Yeah. All right. And where did the singing come in? The singing came in because I was bad with other instruments. <laughs> okay. And then um, I think when it comes to electronic music, I wanted to layer things and I couldn't produce it. And so I think the voice came in to complement that, to lift the song up. And eventually, you know, fun fact, actually 1057 was supposed to be sort of an instrumental track. There was not much vocals in it. And then I sang and I realized that, hey, this all comes together and fits in really nicely. And then gradually, I, I just feel like it becomes my main instrument and... Now I'm a singer. Well, you never thought about, okay, maybe I should get somebody else to sing. I will just produce the tracks. I think when I first started out with this whole music production thing, I was very introverted and living in my own world. And to get somebody on board, yeah, it has never chanced upon me. Like, I've never thought about that. All right. Is making music full-time something that you would recommend to budding musicians and singers in Singapore right now? You know what? This is actually a very interesting question. Because if you were to ask me a few years back, I would say no. A few years back being before the pandemic, during the, after Rave Now, after MTV. Or... Yeah, yeah. I think, I think back then I used to think that music was not even a possible career path in Singapore. I would say the most pragmatic advice I used to get when I was young was actually to get a full-time job and then to do music at the side. But then one time, I went for a school trip in New York. We, we visited musicians and I thought to myself, why is my plan A being a musician and my plan B being a, a corporate work, you know? It's so vastly different. And it almost feels like because I always have that plan B at the back of my head, I would never give it all for my plan A. So I, I felt like that time I reflected a lot and I was thinking, what if... I don't care about my plan B or plan C. I just go for it during this period of time and try to make it. My point is, if something means so much to you, you should definitely pursue it despite the odds. Yeah, and at some point, you will know if this is it or this is not it. 
And even if this is not it, in the midst of doing so, you will find something else that will work for you. And this realization when you're in New York, well, you were still in SMU? Um, yes. Okay. And then by that time, you were already getting like millions of streams on Spotify and you were... Yeah, I actually have never been very sure about doing music full-time, believe it or not. Like, for very long, I always struggle with how unstable it is compared to all my peers that I grew up with. But over the last few years, I came to accept it for what it is. And I think it's just what you choose in life as well. Choosing this path, it comes with its own sets of highs and lows. And I also learned to like self-regulate my emotions a lot more. Like you just have to be really grounded when that happens and still stay true to yourself and remember why you even started making music in the first place. Right. Artist management-wise, um, are you back to being an independent artist right now? Yes, I am. I think I think that's 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 also a very important thing for me to talk about. In the beginning, I started out as an indie artist. I was working with uh, my manager. It was a very fun time for me. I got to practice all the things I was learning in SMU, like doing PowerPoint decks, like building up this persona it was such a fun thing for me to do and then eventually um i worked with a major i got to learn so much you know about distribution i I got a glimpse of like the corporate and also it's an opportunity that i'm very grateful for after having gone through all of that i i realized that at the end of it regardless of who i'm with it is very important to know who i am as an artist and then choose the people that i want to work with It should always still come from me. I feel like I lost that part of myself somewhere along this journey because I was trying to people please. And now that I'm back here, I would say like my current configuration is like a decentralized one. So I have my team here in Singapore and then there's a team in China as well. I'm also directly in touch with the creatives that I work with. I feel like this is something that is really fun for me as well. This also makes me feel that I have to take more ownership on my own as a person, to be responsible, to know how to communicate and to do things the right way. It made me a lot clearer in terms of who I am as a person and my values. All right. Let's talk about live shows. Uh, how often do you do live performances these days and where? Where do you? Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I haven't been doing a lot of live shows ever since the pandemic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not even in China. I'm currently planning a tour um, with my team over there. Okay. But I feel that because my music direction is taking such a new direction, I wanted to really focus on that. And then when that live show kicks off, it would not be the songs that I released from years back already. Yeah, if anything, I would still play those songs but they would fit in the new world that I'm creating. Yeah, so I feel very impatient about this, honestly. But I also know that I'm very excited about what I'm building this year. All right, right. Jasmine, last question for you. Besides the new EP, what are your other plans for the near future? If you had caught me like years ago, I would tell you my five-year plan, my 10-year plan. You don't have a five-year, 10-year plan anymore? (laughs) Ever since the pandemic, I've come to realise that Plans are still important, but they're not everything. And if there's something that I really appreciate right now is to be able to adapt accordingly. 
I know that this year, my main goal is to build this world that I am working on right now, the entire EP. But I don't really have a very concrete plan. Because just in case something like Rave now happens again, I'm ready to embrace it, right? Alright, Jasmine, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It's really great to be here. It's my first podcast. I'm very happy. <laughs> and we're very happy that you chose us to be your first podcast ever. Thank you. your host, Adino Abdul Hadi. We hope you enjoyed listening to Music Lab, a new series by The Straits Times. If you'd like to read Adino's columns on the music scene in Singapore and elsewhere, there's a link in our podcast text description. Once again, make sure you follow ST's Music Lab podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.